Welcome to the secret life of cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Oh boy, settle down, settle in, or grab the dog leash and head for a nice long walk, or head to my Substack for this week's recipe and bake along and listen. I'll wait. My guest this week is the amazing, and, and I know I use that word a lot, but Wajahatali is amazing on so many levels. Oh, we talk about his new best selling book. We take on racism, Republicans, racist Republicans oxymorons, and what it's like to grow up in America as a Muslim. I hope you enjoy the conversation, the insights, and the real truth about pistachios that we uncover. I hope you would enjoy it as much as I did. A housekeeping note, if you would be so kind as to leave a positive review on Apple, share the pod with a friend, subscribe to my Substack, Bosco and I would be grateful. And that poor puppy, you know, he has to wear his cone of shame for another two weeks. You could do it for the puppy. I know it would bring him joy and thank you so much. I would like to welcome you, Fareed Zakarias, to the show today. Thank you. It's thank wonderful you. to have you. Um, and I think <laughs> you and all your, no folks, really, it is Wahajat. My um, name is Sanjay Gupta. My <laughs> name is Sanjay Gupta. I'm here to give medical advice and, and to ask that you all mask and vaccinate during this pandemic. You could see me on CNN with my uh, toned abs. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, not me, not me. As you can clearly tell, not me. <laughs> no, actually, you look quite schlunk, as we would say. Um, no, for those no, this is, who are listening the, at home, he looks quite schlunk. Yeah, thank you. I will, I will take it. <laughs> I think that's Yiddish for moderately <laughs> overweight, but uh, handling it with grace. No, no, no. It really means you're very quite swanye, slinky, um, nice. as opposed to growing up in a family like I did, where I would learn phrases like, Kugelhund ist gesund, which means to be round like a kugel, you know, is oh, healthy. Wow. Yeah. For us, it was, uh, they were more blunt. They just said, yo, you're very healthy and healthy meant big boned <laughs> and big bone. And or they used to look at you and say, mashallah, which translates to as God wills it, but mashallah is given as a compliment or mm -hmm. sometimes not as a compliment. You have nothing good to say. You're like, oh, that baby that was hideous. Uh, mashallah. <laughs> so he used to look at me and go, he's very mashallah. And I used to wear husky pants. So the trauma and the joy of blunt immigrant parents commenting endlessly about your weight, I share it. <laughs> Thank you. And my parents were really positive about it. that's the thing. Oh, that's and great. I, I mean, but I didn't look like the super thin waspy mm. girls in my, we were like the only Jews in my town and we had books in our house. So it was a little, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So you're, um, like, you're like the nerdy Jews, the nerdy round Jew <laughs> surrounded by these like um, thin mint white waspy girls. Exactly. I was basically like a relative of Ralph Lauren's, but oh. all these girls, no, I wasn't, but I mean, all these girls <laughs> yeah, look no. like the Ralph Lauren ideology. Ralph Lipschitz, as my mother used to always pronounce. <laughs> Lipschitz. Anyway, I, I thank you very much for coming on today. You have just written what the world is calling and the world should be calling a best selling book oh, uh, please, called please <laughs> but more go back to where you came from which before we go any farther i want to ingratiate myself to you as is my and say i love this book so very very much thank and you. every single person 
once they're done listening to this podcast and, you know, maybe like left a few likes on Apple podcasts, not Spotify, Apple podcasts, I would love them to download your, I mean, I hope you get as much money from downloads because the audible version, it's just lovely. Thank you for spending the week with me. We had a great time. We went on dog walks (laughs) together. We laughed, we cried. It was great. And hearing you read it, hearing you do your dad's voice, hearing you do Bill Clinton's voice, just everything about it. It was obviously your words. You are a good writer and you convey things well in the written word, but also hearing you say it was the way to go. So I no, no, thank you. That. I appreciate it. It was, my, it was my first audible. And uh, it's interesting. I know you, they just lock you in a room for like four days and you have no idea like what's going to be happening. And the only audience I had was like the recording engineer. So I used to just to turn to him like, dude, is this working? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, listen, we record the most boring books. This is like a gift. I'm like, thank you. And I'm like, all right, you're like, I'm like, you're my link to the world. Cause if you're wrong about this, this is all going to go to hell. That's what it is, right? It's a conversation. You write a book and you realize you're having a conversation with a reader that you oftentimes don't see. And it's such a trip to then meet someone who says, oh yeah, I read your book and I know about your life. And you're like, oh yeah, I wrote that book for the public. Why did I do that? I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> what? Totally. <laughs> what and was wrong with me? How come no one stopped me? <laughs> because we wanted to hear more and more and more. And and you invited us. That's all I have to say. You invited us and this I had a true. very good time. I had a very good time. As you know, this is a very sort of strange show where we talk about politics and the world mm. and what's going on. And we also bake because excellent. at some point in the middle of the pandemic, I was like, I can't cope with what I'm seeing on the TV without having some sort of outlet. And so I hope but, that... But you know, isn't that interesting? You, I'm new to cooking. The same thing happened to me is that during the pandemic, somehow I got inspired to finally start cooking. I got my mom's... And like I never cooked anything before. I was so nervous and worried. Like I cooked the basic stuff, but I'm talking about like South Asian dishes that we grew up with. And I got these uh, recipes from my mom. And then I, I got like, I got the hang of it really quickly. And then like, now I cook for my wife and I ended up like, cooking like six course meals a day. And like people are like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It comes very easily to me. I find it to be very therapeutic. And I enjoy seeing the smile on my wife's face and I give food to people. And they're like, you're surprisingly good. And I'm like, I'm learning. I'm a grunt. Just have faith. You know, typical immigrant kid. I'll get better. And they're like, no, exactly. no, we're, we're giving you a compliment. It's tasty. Like, it gave us free food. No, no, I cannot have a compliment. It is against my. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize for existing. Exactly. Please take my food anyway. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I have that same, same sort of feeling, and I, I kind of missed the conversations that you had over the kitchen table. You know, over the kitchen table or That's over right. the kitchen island. I'm pointing over my island, which is sort of where you're sitting. And I wanted to be able to kind of parse and take down and sort of emote about what was going on in the world. And that's, and so luckily everything is much better now. The pandemic's over. We have a Democrat in the White House. So everything's good. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now, now this is just an excuse for gluttony. Uh, And there's no reason for us to binge eat out of like deep uh, underlying existential fear that our democracy is under constant assault. As as we're recording today, the Republican Party officially said that the the violent insurrectionists who tried to overthrow our election are just uh, quote ordinary Americans with quote legitimate concerns. So that's good to know. So the audience knows if this were actually being recorded, like for video, I would now pick up the entire cake and eat it just for comedy's sake. Because <laughs> the fuck, what the heck? Um, yeah, uh, I was going to ask you if you really if 
on your bingo card for this week, you had uh, Rudy Giuliani on The Masked Singer. Was you that on what? your bingo card? Yeah. That was not on my bingo card. I, I'm a person who tries to, uh, you know, I have a deep uh, imaginative well for the absurdity of America, right? Like I, I have a lot of faith in my country to, to do outlandish <laughs> things. I mean, we did, right. after all, elect Donald Trump, a Bulgarian, to the White House. But to see Rudy Giuliani being unmasked as one of the contestants on the Fox uh, show Masked Singer, which I have yet to see. Me too. That's like, wow. That's like, you know, <laughs> the bar is so low. Like, I'd love these double standards for women and people of color that you too could overthrow or try to overthrow an election. But that's okay. Just for the sake of ratings, we're going to give you money to be a contestant on Masked Singer. Right. Whereas um, Whoopi Goldberg is, has to spend two weeks in like <laughs> hiding in her basement. Because, and then after that, she has to come out and probably has to like apologize and do all sorts of things. Uh, uh, during Black History Month, the shortest month of the year. Oh, actually, that's a good point. You know, I didn't pair that together, but you know, I should have paired that together. Yeah. So here's Rudy Giuliani, who literally gets rewarded and paid. And then mm -hmm. Whoopi Goldberg, who like I think everyone, even her own co-host, even Whoopi said, hey, I'm sorry, this is where I'm coming from. I had this construct, American construct of race, and <laughs> I've been informed and educated why the Nazis saw Jews as an inferior race and insubordinate people and didn't care about like religion, and, the, and, the, and that's why they were targeting them. And now I've been educated. And the next day, she uses it as a teachable moment. And <laughs> ABC News says, let me make a thing, uh, uh, something educational and positive worse on Black History Month. Let's silence this woman for two weeks. But by the way, Megan McCain and everyone else, free for all. Go for it. And the idea that, you know, and especially because it was based on her idea of race, which I don't know, as an African-American woman, she might really have a very strong sense of what it means to be a member of a race because mm. this country has not been so, you know, kind. Um, to... kind. I don't suppose you read... Somebody posted one of the Virginia text, history textbooks that was used in Virginia during the 50s through the 70s. And what do they say? It, Something just atrocious? I can barely repeat it because it makes the bile. It's a fight between <laughs> the words coming out and the bile coming out. But it's basically how happy the slaves were and how oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they were slaves. They weren't you know, obviously no pleasant, ter you know, nicer terms, more re real terms like enslaved people. But the slaves were so happy and they, um, their masters worked to make their lives better. Oh, yeah. And one of the things, they'd get to at least two changes of clothes a year. Mm. So that was nice. Including was nice. a straw hat for summer and nice. a wool cap for winter. And, and also, yeah. they sometimes would pass down the clothes when they didn't want them anymore in the big house oh, to the, the slaves because they loved the finery. Ah, nice. And, and you know, you don't have to go back to the 50s. A couple of years ago, if anyone's listening, you, you doubt this, go check a Bill O'Reilly slavery Fox News where he had a segment before he was, of course, resigned yeah. for the multiple sexual harassment scandals that Fox paid on his behalf. He did, he did his whole segment where the slaves weren't treated that bad. In fact, they were okay. And so this was just a couple of years ago. And I remember when I took my aunt pre-pandemic, she visited, I took her to you know George Washington. We were in Virginia. So we saw the George Washington's house. And even then, one of the folks, you know, there was like a tour. And one of the folks were like, well, but were the slaves treated well? And then the, the, the lady who was like the tour guide, I mean, there were slaves, but I know, but, but, but were they treated well? Like this need, this mythology of this benevolent white 
slave owner, like any, anything that like questions white supremacy makes us so uncomfortable. We need to like sanitize history that it really wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't that bad. And also, honey, if you don't feel happy reading about the fact that you're, you know, you were a white person who may or may not have owned slaves, just you let the Board of Education know. And you don't have to read those terrible, horrifying books. Yeah, you can read Fountainhead instead and bore yourself to death. Seems like a good solution. This was a busy week in racism. Mm. So thank you. Thank you for coming to coming yeah, to I, us you know, here. I, I am a this race hustler can... <laughs> who hustles every day. Uh, I'm being a, the race pimp that I am, according to the right wing. And, you know, it's a tough job. And I, I appreciate you you uh, noticing and observing that I had mm-hmm. to take time out from my busy, busy race hustling schedule for you. Thank you so much. But I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to actually talk some more about racism because, you know, it's really kind of been a banner week for racism. We've had <laughs> what Brooke burnings. What else? We did have uh, the uh, complaints. Oh, the compl- I think it was a complaint. I want to say Alabama. I could be wrong. The complaint against Black History Month because parents are complaining about that. Stop the Woke Act in Florida, which then yep. inspired the Texas Act. Uh, mouse being banned in Tennessee because some mm-hmm. of the people didn't like the ending. <laughs> oh, and they don't like naked mice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember? I mean, go back to your days as an adolescent boy. What would have naked seeing a naked mouse have done for you? I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah. I would have changed my pronouns. Pictures. I would have worn a dress and changed my pronouns. Probably. And who knows which bathroom you would have used. Yeah, yeah, I would be confused. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing like just a full scale assault, especially during Black History Month. Oh, oh, let's not forget, since Mm -hmm. you're doing a cataloging list, open dog whistles uh, about President Biden's yet to be even named Supreme Court Justice nominee, where apparently we're freaking out about affirmative action because he said he'd nominate a black woman. But no one seems to care that Trump nominated three white folks. And explicitly said that he would nominate a woman, and we all knew it was a white woman, made no qualms mm-hmm. about it. But that's nope. okay. That's completely okay. And also, I mean, as long as she reads more than the J. Crew catalog, I think we're okay, according <laughs> to Senator Kennedy. The other thing that also happened was there were like 14 different states across the country, this fine, fine country, passed, I don't know if they're laws or at least guidelines for how you can teach Black History Month. And you couldn't, you, you can't do things like say, oh, Jackie Robinson broke the color line. Can't explain to you what the color line was, though. Right. Yeah. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Something happened there. Can't explain to you what happened there. And, you know, it's 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 all connected. Right. I think it's connected. Uh, you know, the story, the myth, the narrative is connected. The reason why they're freaking out over 1619 Project, which is if you really just step back and look at this, you're like, here's Nicole Hannah-Jones. Mm. who came out with a New York Times book review cover on 1619. Okay, they have lost their damn minds over this because (laughs) it challenges the myth of the American dream where the white man, the pioneer, came here, bootstrapped himself up, right? Worked hard, Mm. like Rick Santorum said, there was nothing. Maybe there were a couple of natives, but we came here and with our manifest destiny and our God's good fortune, literally gave fruit to this earth and we were the benevolent whites. And sure, it wasn't perfect, but hey, we gave the blacks an opportunity and we gave the Asians an opportunity. And that is America. And if you challenge this mythic, incorrect, romantic notion and replace it with actual truth, then you have to confront 
this thing called white supremacy. And you have mm-hmm. to confront the systems that are still in place that oppress the rest of us. And you have to confront inequality. And then you have to confront your role in either condoning it, perpetuating it, or choosing to reject it. And instead of doing all that, let's just ban the books. <laughs> it's much easier. In America, we like quick fixes, right? Quick fix. Quick right. fix and supersize. Supersize right. racism, quick fix <laughs> to our discomfort over racism. Oh my gosh, we've got it. I think this is the t-shirt, supersize it. And then there was also one that stood out to me were these so-called Nazis in uh, Florida. The Nazis were marching, that's right. Yeah, they were marching. But first of all, I heard what they were saying. And the truth is, my eyes are too close together. I mean, <laughs> so I can't dispute that. And the other thing is that lovely woman who works for Ron DeSantis as his press person also did mention they could be Democratic operatives. Oh, yeah. That's right. So I don't... And they probably those pro- we can probably knock those off the racism list because they might not really have been Nazis. But you know, and, and we, you know, maybe maybe not. But the interesting thing was also that uh, you've had Paul Gosar, Arizona Republican congressman, who openly has gone and given a keynote at uh, Nick Fuentes's white nationalist conference, taken a photo with him, pals around with the Oath Keepers, and then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene who believes in Jewish mm. space lasers causing wildfires. And both of those individuals have not been condemned by the Republican Party, but been celebrated. And of course, you have Madison Cawthorn <laughs> and also Matt Gates who are palling around with these white nationalists, people who also are friendly with the neo-Nazis. Uh, but don't worry about that or Charlottesville or, or, or the folks Mm-mm. who chant Jews will replace us. Just worry about Antifa, uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, and alleged Democratic operatives who might be posing as Nazis. Oh yeah, right, and, and Ilhan Omar's hijab. Oh my gosh, I, you got to ease up on this. And speaking of Democratic operatives, what about censuring Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney? Oh yeah, that happened today. Well, that, because, uh, yeah, that also happened. This has been, it's been a busy Friday uh, in news dump. Like, I feel like the racist gods just took a dump on all of us this week. They were like, you were like, they were waiting, like they ate a lot of burritos and beans yep. and biryani and like fried chicken. And, and, and they ate like a lot of McDonald's and like candy, ice cream, and they're lactose intolerant and they just kept it. <laughs> and their mothers were very unhappy because they were really holding it in. Yeah, yeah they, they hold it in and they're like, wait for it, wait for it. Black History Month, let it all out. <laughs> let it all out. And then it's like, it. it's like the Blazing Saddles campfire scene. But yeah, because I completely forgot that one also. And it's like, oh my God. So, you know, I've said, I said this a couple of years ago. And I remember when I used to say this on television, I think on MSNBC or CNN, this was like after Trump was elected, they used to give me like these quizzical looks. I remember even before Trump was elected, I said this on a BBC News Hour, and the guy heard the term white supremacy in his brain, like, oh God. he's like, yeah. what are you talking about? And I said, we're witnessing the death rattle of white supremacy, which has turned into a death march. That's very key. The death rattle has turned into a death march. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, everyone's trying to do these euphemisms. Economic anxiety, you know, racial trip ups, racial flare ups. We played the game of taboo for like four years until maybe 2019, 2020, we finally started calling it out, which is fascinating. It shows you the discomfort this country has of ever talking about racism, right? And mm-hmm. I said that it's not economic anxiety, it's cultural and racial anxiety. They're afraid of being replaced. And every single study since the 2016 election has shown that the yeah. main reason, not the only reason, the main reason why people voted for Trump, even the people who went from Obama to Trump, was due to cultural anxiety. 
this fear of being replaced, this fear that the American dream and myth, the narrative they had of leave it to beaver and two genders and black and white and white men on top was now being threatened and they were losing power. And if you've been in power your whole life, what does equality look like? Equality looks like oppression. But for the rest of us, we're like, oh, there's two women now on the board and there's one brown person. Yay, we got invited to the party. But to them, they're like, why do these two broads and this darkie come and take our spot? And that's, a, and that's the tension right now. That's what's happening. That's what's happening and has been bubbling up, as you said, all along. You have kids, as we were speaking, and they lead a lovely life playing Lego and doing good things. And your daughter is now in remission from cancer or yes. cure, healed of it, which is an amazing thing. You have pinned on your, um, on your Twitter the moment where she meets the guy who donated the liver to her. And I could just like think about that now. And that just, uh, I get them yeah. all sort of, <laughs> get the feels. I get the feels and a lot of like, I stop being able to speak coherently. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. And it is so restorative in mm. my faith in all things, or at least a few things. If you're in need, anybody out there, if you're in need of a little bit of restorative uplift, that video will do it. That's mm. a wonderful thing. I kept it there for a reason because Precisely for that, like it's a good reminder mm -hmm. for not just myself, but everyone else of a good story. Oftentimes Twitter is a hellscape, <laughs> you know, it's like the world's id. It's a repository <laughs> of like, it's like, it's like, come be the worst version of yourself. And even me, like you have to be self reflective. Like I see, I was thinking about this yesterday. I think about this often, like I need to get off of social media. I need to make enough FU money where I don't have mm -hmm. to rely on social media anymore. And I could just like sit and like write novels like I always wanted to, because I worry about what it's doing to me sometimes and what, mm -hmm. what type of behavior gets rewarded, right? Like it, it brings out like the, brings out oftentimes the worst version of yourself. And then I feel like with this hellscape of a timeline that we're living in that you just gave a nice, you just spent like the last week. We haven't even talked about the month. You just <laughs> did the highlights of the week. And even then we missed like a whole bunch of stories, right? I feel like yep. that's an important story to show that selflessness and generosity and kindness can lead to a young girl living. Sean was then an anonymous donor who answered the call like about three years ago when mm -hmm. I announced that my then two-year-old daughter had stage four liver cancer and the, the, you know, it spread all over her liver. She needed a, a, you know, a full liver transplant. It was getting very, a hairy situation and, you know, person after person stepped up and like just every, every complication that this poor girl could go through, she went through and over 500 people, mostly anonymous donors stepped up to help this little girl. And it's important because some of those donors told me, they literally told me, I hate everything you tweet. And I'm like, everything? They're like, everything, but I'm praying for your girl. <laughs> I'm like, even the Lego set, I hate that too. And so, you know, you know, like, I'm like, I hate your politics, but I signed up to be a, a liver donor. And it just shows you that sometimes some people can do good. And this liver donor, Sean Zahir, is a young guy who just happened to live like 15 minutes away from us. I never met him. Happens to be Muslim and Pakistani. We had no idea. His oh wife, Ritha, followed me for the last couple of years because apparently I went to North Carolina several years ago and gave a speech. Since then, she followed me on Twitter. He's a Luddite. He's not on social media. She was just sitting on the couch reading these tweets. He took the phone from her, you know, went through my Twitter thread and said, oh, O blood type, donor. I've given blood. I give marrow. Pakistani Muslim, preferred but not necessary. Okay, great. And then quietly he did it. And we found out through accident from a mutual friend, the day of the surgery, he messaged me. He goes, my friend, Sean, I think he's the one giving his liver to your daughter. Pray for him too, because he's in the operating room. I'm like, who's Sean? 
He goes, oh crap, I don't think I was supposed to tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> if his wife is there, can we connect? And so we got our phone numbers and we started texting and I bumped into her after the surgery as we were both waiting in the Georgetown commissary. Oh my God. That's how we all knew each other. And, and then, and then when it came to Nuseba ringing the bell, and for those of you who've never gone through cancer, hopefully inshallah, you never will. Ringing the bell is when you're declared cancer free. And then mm. we gave her like a Supergirl costume and that's the video. And then he happened to be off from work that day. So he comes in and he sees her ringing the bell and then she runs to him and he picks her up and somehow we got it on camera. And it's just this magical moment. Right. And he like bounces her up and down. Like he's like her uncle. It's, yeah, isn't it's that, the sweetest lovely? thing. It really, um, it still gets me, even if you described it again now. Let me pause for a second and talk about cake because cake is sweet. And I As just want to talk about what, what I'm doing here because then I want to talk about, uh, and so you can think about it while I'm talking, but you have two children? Three. three. You, have some, you have three children. You have I got three a pandemic baby. Oh, congratulations. But you have to um, apparently raise them in this world that we yeah. are all living in. and. Did you, your parents raise you with any sort of like, okay, you small Pakistani American kid, when you go out into the world, be prepared for this. Are you going to do this for your kids? Because as a, my father was an immigrant. It was, mm. He was the one who was like, oh, this is my cat trying to walk on the cake. He, the she knows a good thing. She knows a good thing <laughs> when she can smell it. Yeah. And she knows I give, he knows I give him treats. Hitler had been like, you know, you guys aren't so nice. If you can't get out, why don't, why don't you leave? And so my father left and he came to the United States. Oh, Hitler was um, that? Oh, that was, that was very nice of Hitler to, to say that. He was very thoughtful that way. <laughs> that was very, that uh, was very, very please, thoughtful. Please leave everything behind because I don't want you to have to carry a lot on yeah, your yeah. journey. I would prefer, Jews, <laughs> if, if you don't mind, for the Aryan race to rise again. It would be really lovely if you could, uh, you know, just kind of depart. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you're a little reticent? I have a plan. Anyway, um, and so my father was never really said anything about like, okay, when you go out there, people are going to say things to you. It was mm. only in a re in reaction. Like, why does every? What do you mean I can't go to like CCD classes and stuff like that? And it's like, no, you're a Jew. You do different things, and mm. we're different. And we would react to things on TV and be like, oh, it's not good for the Jews. But uh, which we I, you say that a lot nowadays, unfortunately, <laughs> exactly. in America, Ooh, not good like every Jews. week, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, this can't you, be good for the Jews. <laughs> it's not going to be good for us. But my mother would be say things like Jackie Mason. Remember, he was like this yeah. Uh, yeah. horrible comedian. I would be like, Jackie Mason is not good for the Jews. Oh, um, she see, see, your mom is a cool. Your mom is a she knows what's up. She knew what's yeah, up. Totally. That guy was but, so racist. So racist. Was he? I, I just I never was allowed to watch him. <laughs> but he was imagine. funny too, but then he was racist also. He like, was like so openly racist against Muslims and Arabs. You're like, damn, man, Jackie Mason, if you weren't so racist, I would really enjoy your comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, maybe it's just not enjoyable because he is a horrible racist or was. Anyway, I am making something that I'm, you know, hoping you know, will bridge the gap between uh, Pakistani Americans and uh, German Jewish Americans by bringing yes. together, I made this is a very solid cake. You can see it's a um, beautiful bunt pan, but I made a sort of um, a vanilla, very heavily scented kind of dense pound cake. And I filled it with, you know, you get a nice streusel filling in a cake. Mm, well, looks. I made, I made one sort of based on um, the scents and spices of chai. Ah, I love it. And I was drinking chai throughout this entire podcast. It's like Homemade a great chai. thing. 
<laughs> I'm going to then glaze it with a chai glaze. Oh, so that should be delicious. Chai and heavy cream, but inside it's um, chopped up almonds and pistachios. Ooh. And then we have ginger, cloves, some green cardamom. Oh, and wow. what else? Other spices uh, like so this is basically This is basically like every immigrant uncle's dream cake. Because yeah. like, like, like all <laughs> ethnic uncles, and this includes Jews, like love pistachio. And love almonds. pistachio. Yeah, the pistachio is, is like is like crack cocaine for them. They're like pistachio. Put it in there, everything. My, my father loved pistachio ice cream. Why is that? Yeah, yeah, that's that. You know, Weird. Pakistanis, Turks, they love. It's like that <laughs> generational thing. Like this, like like the old school uncles. If you want to, like, I don't care who they're. If they're these ethnic uncles, you want to win them over. Like anything pistachio, they go crazy. <laughs> and okay, I love you. pistachio too. I like. Um, that's why I realized it became my father. Cause I'm like, what type of what type of gelato should I get? Mm, pistachio. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, how about mango too? Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> and your kids are like, I want the bubble gum. Yeah, yeah. Your kids are you like, what's wrong with you, old man? <laughs> exactly. Give me um, ro- rainbow sherbet. <laughs> sherbet. Oh, that was really popular when I was little. <laughs> to, to answer your question, um, it's very interesting. I was thinking about this while while, while you were baking and ans- uh, answering the question. I was dreaming of chai cake. It was interesting. My parents didn't otherize me, but they kind of just didn't care either in the sense that they named me Wajahat. Obviously, they don't care about me blending. They didn't teach me English, even though I was born and raised in America. Like, you know, they like I literally I talked about this in the book. You realize when you're other when you first go to school. That was the first time I noticed because I, I spoke Urdu, brown skinned kid with three generations growing up in the same home. <laughs> you know, they're speaking Urdu. We fasted <laughs> when we had to fast during Ramadan. We pray when we have to pray. We watch TV. And they kind of just you know, like when I asked them, like, how come you didn't teach me English? They're like, eh, look, you learned. And so, you know, they're like, whatever. And they're like, how come you put green stuff in my kebabs? My mom's like, because it's delicious. And, and it was. And so it was one of those situations where there was like immense pride in who we were. And they kind of just didn't really care about assimilating. And also I was protected in the sense that I had the family unit, mm. parents, grandparents, aunts, cousins. And we kind of just flowed and integrated the way we wanted to integrate. Like we did the religious stuff. Mm-hmm. We did the cultural stuff. We, we, you know, I was an American kid doing American stuff. But you find out when you're the other. I found out immediately when I was in school. My parents didn't have to remind me, which was interesting. I'm glad they didn't. But they did mention like, look, you could just tell the comments. Look, look who gets on TV. Look who's <laughs> the hero in the movies. Look who gets elected. Look at the double standards. And you kind of realize, oh, yeah. We're, we're Muslim and we're brown and black people in Mexico. Like, you know, you just know. You're like, okay, the hero's the white dude. Yeah. Who's going to get off scot-free? Who's going to get the dude. longer prison? Oh, speaking about the weekend racism, the woman who got six years, six years sentence for voter fraud because she didn't know that she was ineligible to vote. And then she voted and then the prosecutor and the judge gave her six years. Meanwhile, I'm in Virginia and Glenn Youngkin's eldest mm-hmm. son tried to vote twice. Exactly. <laughs> Didn't you say something about he's white and he's going to get off scot-free? Oh, yeah, yeah nothing happened to him. He's did, fine. He's fine. <laughs> nothing happened to him. And Glenn Youngkin, though, today did sort of had a little run-in with people. With I have a daughter who goes to university in Virginia, and so I'm much more aware of what goes on in Virginia now, I think, that we should, all should be. And Glenn Youngkin got yelled at today at the supermarket because he yep. wasn't wearing a mask. In, Alexand- in, in Arlington, which is close to where I am, which votes very blue, and everyone else was wearing a mask. And a woman was like, yo, read the room. <laughs> and, 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 and he's like, how come you're not wearing a mask? He goes, everyone makes choices today. I'm like, ridiculous, man. 
ridiculous. Ridiculous human being. You were talking about how your parents didn't uh, really bother to uh, assimilate in heavy duty fashion. And mm. I, I think in your book, didn't you talk about like your friends coming over for hamburgers and the kind of hamburgers your mother made or did I completely yeah, no, 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 no. So, so my parents, you know, my kids, my parents just didn't get care. They're like, friends are coming over. They'll enjoy eating dal and chamal. Dal is like lentils and chamal is rice and they'll enjoy eating sagosh, like just hardcore traditional desi stuff. And they're like, and they did, they ate it. They're like, oh, this is very good. And then you, maybe they'll order like a pizza for me. And then the funny thing, I'll never forget this. We went to a tailgate. I'm not a tailgater, so I get invited to a tailgate, San Francisco 49ers tailgate. So you got to bring something. So everyone's bringing hot dogs and meats and barbecues because my friend's father, you know, is a season ticket holder. So my mom makes me <laughs> these kebab patties, homemade kebab patties, right? Oh my God, yeah. And to me, they look perfectly normal. And like they, 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 like they, they, these round, flat, like little burger patties. And so I remember I brought them and I was like kind of proud of them. And then everyone's like, why is it green? I'm like, isn't it always green? <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, what the hell is that? And then, you know, they go through the food and you know how it is with food, if food's out there and they're like, I'll just throw it in the grill. So they threw it on the grill and it smelled delicious. So then one adventurous soul ate it. And I remember this, I'll never forget. After he ate it, he's like, whoa, this is good. Then another person ate it. And then my kebabs were the ones that got destroyed the first. And everyone was like, this was awesome. I'm like, told you, mother effer, told you, you got to put the green stuff in it. And let that be a lesson to all of us. Try the yeah. stuff with the green stuff. And now the I green stuff, recipe. for those of you who don't know, is hari mirch, which is like a, a type of a, perhaps sometimes a serrano pepper uh, and maybe sometimes a, some cilantro. That's all it is. But like, apparently I had no idea that green stuff was like exotic. Like, I didn't know. Like, I thought everyone put green stuff. And then you later realize Americans don't put green stuff. No, but we which, should. Unfortunately, to their detriment. Exactly. And that's why we need to learn. And apparently, uh, let me just point out to you, you actually are an American and you put green stuff in your hamburger. So, or you should, you can. And so maybe we all should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have fellow Americans there. You have permission to put green stuff in your burgers and, and give it a little bit of a kick and a nice little aromatic smell. You uh, write in the beginning of your book, or I'm going to say you speak to me when you were in my ears. You respond to some of the lovely letters that I think you got from some of your super big fans. Massive fans. And I, I just wondered, just give the folks at home who haven't had the chance to start your book kind of a taste of what one of those letters would have been like. Because I want to know if those started off as like, you got letters like that and then you drove around just ranting to yourself and finally turned it into, you know, comedy copy. So, so yeah, so the, the books, you know, I have fun with the book and I try to kind of subvert the expectations of a memoir. And, mm -hmm. and in, instead of just starting with the once upon a time, I start with hate mail. <laughs> like, you know, I just, just like the title of the book, like just like, just like a friggin' cannon, like just like, just go. And like, you know, and so it, it's like, Hey, Salaam Alaikum, may peace be with you. Go back to where you came from fan mail number one. And I think I give you like five fan mails in the first draft. I had like eight and then they're all funny, but then some of my editors like maybe five is enough. Watch. I'm like, okay, okay. And so <laughs> the ones that I chose were the first two that I chose were the ones I get almost every day. The, the one I get most common, a common refrain is go back to where you came from. And it's mm. so common now that like, I don't even, it doesn't even bother me or affect me. I just kind of, I don't even roll my eyes. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And so <laughs> the, the fan mail is the first ones go back to where it came from. The second one is the, the number two the, like, of, of like the, the ones that I get the most, which is go F a goat or a camel. Yeah. And I'm and like, you know, I'm still to this day, I joke about it, but I'm really fascinated. Like, why is it only goats and camels? Like they're really obsessed with these. And like, 
the animal kingdom is diverse and large. There's so there's a cat, a beetle, a horse, uh, elephant, but tigers. goats and camels. Yeah, tigers. You know why not? Why not tigers? Uh, but goats and camels. So the the I I list those fan mills and I give my response, and then the response is kind of a foreshadowing of my response to bigotry and hate, but also the way I choose to respond to some of the effed up stuff that happens in America, but also in my life. And mm-hmm. so the choice is oftentimes that when terrible things happen, you have every right to rage and you have every right to be sad. But often if you notice, and I'm going to do a, I did this analogy in the book, I'll do it for you. You we're, we're the old decaying sacks of flesh who can recognize this antiquated pop cultural <laughs> reference, but like people respond like Daffy Duck. He gets yeah. upset. He gets <laughs> angry. He gets anxious, right? He's always like, he always constipated, but the animal always drops on his head. But I chose to respond like Bugs Bunny. And people forget if you watch those cartoons that Bugs Bunny's always chilling. Like he's just minding his own business. And Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd are always messing up his day. They're like, they're chasing him. He's at, like, mm-hmm. look at those cartoons. He's sitting there eating his carrot in his little bunny hole, reading a newspaper. And Elmer Fudd just has to mess with him. And so what Bugs Bunny does is he responds. But oftentimes he uses their traps against them. He uses mm-hmm. wit and humor. Instead of beating them up, he gives them a kiss. He plays with them. And at the end of the day, he gets the carrot, the last laugh and the last word. So that's how I tried to answer some of these horrific, racist, ugly emails I get on a daily basis. I, I think that's a brilliant approach. And I always like Bugs Bunny way more than Daffy Duck, who is really so annoying. How are you going to deal with like your children going out into the world, as George Bush used to say, as small brown children? <laughs> yeah. I think about it a lot. You know, I think about it a lot. It's one of those situations where someone asked me this question recently, like, oh, Muslims are doing much better now than after 9 <laughs> 11. And I said, okay, yeah, the bar was very low. But yes, you know, we have more representation. You see more of us on television. You see me releasing this book. You see, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at that, the polling numbers, there's people who are like, oh, you Muslims, you weren't lying about anti-Muslim bigotry this whole time. Look, Trump did the Muslim man. I'm serious. That's what it took. It took, it takes usually an act of horror for us to recognize uh, the horror that was underneath our nose the entire time in front of our eyes. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, there's a tilt towards this improvement, right? But at the same time, we have an entire political party and conservative movement where the backbone of the movement is forged with racism and anti-Muslim bigotry, where there's literally no punishment. In fact, you get rewarded. Look at mm-hmm. Lauren Bobart. Look at Ben Carson. Look at Donald Trump. It's right. You, you can say anything you want about Muslims. No one will ask you to apologize. Look at Ilhan Omar, the crap that she gets, regardless if you like her or don't like her, because she's Muslim and she's black and she wears a hijab she, and she was originally a refugee. She is the manufactured boogeyman of the right. And you can say anything you want. And then even Democrats throw her under the bus because, oh, she's toxic. What will our white base say about her? They don't like her, right? You know, you know by, by being close to her, we get tainted. And now you compare it to Republicans, you can be as ugly, vicious, anti-Semitic, racist as possible. They batten down the hatches, they circle the wagons. Even when they ask, they're asked, do you condemn Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene? They go, nope. No. Which means they probably condone it. And so in this environment, I'll give you one example of how this plays out with kids. A few years ago, a friend of mine who now, I think the, the kid's six, but you know, she was pregnant. We're at a restaurant and she goes, what should I name my son? We have to give him a name. We want to be a Muslim name, but also a name that won't make them the target of hate and discrimination. How about Adam? Adam, Adam can be Adam. 
Americans mm-hmm. like Adam. And I sat there and we were all talking so casually. I'm like, wait a minute. Do you guys realize what's happening? We're self-policing and censoring our unborn children's name to protect them from hate. This is not normal, right? And so in this situation where I have three kids, I decided to be like my parents. I gave them three multisyllabic names, Ibrahim, Nuseba, Khadija, like these, these, wor- these words with weight and meaning and history, and they're brown-skinned. And we're raising the Muslim, whether or not they, they choose to you know, embrace the faith that's on them, but at least the values. You know, yep. I tell them, and my wife tells them as much as possible, be kind, be generous, be decent, love who you are, love your roots, but realize you're one of many. We live in a diverse country and you go to a school and, you know, there's some people who are Catholic and, you know, there's Christmas. So we tried to explain Christmas to them and Hanukkah. And we tried to explain to them that some people are white, some people are black, some people have one parent, two parents, right? But this is our unit and this is our values and this is what we're teaching you. And my son and my daughter know, Baba, every time we go to the supermarket, Baba, that's alcohol. We don't drink alcohol. We're Muslim. <laughs> I'm like, you know. I'm like, we don't drink and we're not supposed to because it's bad for you. So try not to. Plus it makes your breath stinky. You're like, yeah, Baba, I don't, I don't want to touch it. And then you, Baba, we don't eat pork. I'm like, yeah, you know, some people do, but we don't, we, we stay away from it. Yeah, we eat halal. So the thing is like, yeah, you're an American, just like everyone else. You're also Muslim, take pride in your roots. But at the same time, what happened, what happened with my daughter recently is she's this beautiful, the, the Nuseba, the one who survived cancer, late August. She looks in the mirror and she goes, Bob, I want light skin tone. Light skin tone is more beautiful. And I'm like, no, no. No. My, no. my wife and I have done everything. We thought we created a barrier, a fortress against whiteness, the dolls, Moana, you know, mm. Princess and the Frog, you know, brown skin, black skin, like everything. And we couldn't protect her. And of course, like so many kids, especially young women, she internalizes the otherness, right? As a five-year-old. Yeah. And, and, and despite all of our attempts, it seeped through. And so we doubled down our efforts. And uh, thank God, I wrote this about the New York, in the New York Times in November. She finally said, I love my brown skin. And we're like, oh, well, you realize, but you realize it's going to be a lifelong effort. And uh-huh. so we can only do as much as we can to protect them, to give them a sense of confidence, not arrogance, to make them proud of their roots, not chauvinistic about it, and to make them love themselves and, and love what, the way they look in their culture even though this country and a one political party aggressively hates them and says, go back to where you came from. And the final thing I'll say is I'm going to tell them, and I said this before, that you have every right to dream ambitiously and audaciously. This country belongs to you. And don't be content being the model minority who just takes the appetizer and says, thank you. Go for the appetizer, go for the main course, go for the cheese that you can't eat because you have lactose intolerant, but friggin' eat it. (laughs) Go for the chai tea, go for the coffee cake, go for everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And then ask maybe for more. And then more. And then yes. not only that, you know, my hope is, I've written about this. My hope is, is that the kids, what we teach them, I hope inshallah, and they're good kids, they're kind kids, is that once they make, once they arrive at, at the table, mm-hmm. the job isn't done. You have to expand the table in America. And then you have to see which community is getting beat up and then bring them to the table. And, and that's if you really look at the arc of U.S. history, the table and the narrative has always had to stretch. And the rest of us have always had to push, 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 push against so much weight against the forces that literally bring it all full circle are trying to restrict the narrative, restrict who gets to be the protagonist and, and, and literally erase the rest of us. I think on that note, we should eat some cake. Because I think that is such 
it's it's an uplifting message in a time where you know my next question was really going to be but how do we push back against the forces that are the republicans what is the next step for us who want to make sure that who can't believe what we're seeing even mm. though it's been going on forever but you know the idea that marjorie taylor green doesn't get censured no matter what she does and yet he Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are being censured today. For what? Let's just repeat it. Yeah. Simply because they said, you know what? A violent insurrection that takes over the U.S. Capitol and almost results in our deaths is not a good thing. And maybe we should investigate it to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's it. That's the only thing that they both agree upon, right? They're like, this is wrong. Liz Cheney voted with Trump 93% of the time. Kissinger, I think, was 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they said a violent insurrection, insurrection is a bad thing, that has now essentially gotten them kicked out of the party. Adam Kissinger openly said that I have no chance of re-election. He's not running again. And I don't think Liz Cheney is going to win if she runs again. This is freaking Adam. Liz Cheney. Cheney. <laughs> right, exactly. Think of her father. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> this is like the, one of the most right-wing stalwarts of the conservative movement who now has been excised simply because she decides to put country above a violent insurrection just goes to show you what a dangerous place we're in. We're in a dangerous place. Like democracy is barely surviving. And so you have every right to worry. But at the same time, what I tell people is we have the numbers. And the problem is, is the moderate majority is flabby. And we're dealing with a highly organized, incestuous, zealous minority. And if you, if you give me a choice between a zealous, committed minority versus a right. flabby majority that has the numbers, give me the zealous minority. They'll, cut, mm-hmm. as you just baked, they will cut through us <laughs> as if we're like hot butter. Yes. That's my fear. It's a reality. Mm. <laughs> I would yeah. say. But we have the numbers and it, 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 it ain't over until it's over. So right. I refuse to give up. I'm not giving up. In fact, I'm just going to work harder to make it. You got to work uh, harder. Work harder. I'm going to work on my abs. I mean, now that you've made the point about my, (laughs) I mean, I I get the point about my flabby middle, but thanks. Um, No, you know, I have a flabby middle. You know, it's you know, you. Some of my favorite friends have flabby middles. Some of my best friends are flabby middles. (laughs) Exactly, and um, I hope when other people uh, read your book, they also come have that same sort of knowing chuckle when you talk about husky sized pants. Oh gosh, and and Walter's clothing store. Oh, yeah. did you have I husky didn't get also? Have t- I can't say they were husky, but they certainly like when I went. They were in roomy. Get- they were roomy. <laughs> yeah, not roomy, but uh, roomy. <laughs> yeah, roomy. And they, I went into this Walter's clothing store, which was a boys' clothing store, and um, I couldn't. And they had some clothes for girls, and and the thing to have at the point in that moment was corduroys, like thin no, corduroys. yeah, I just took and- me back. It took me back. I know exactly what you're talking about. They were like, no, you can't wear those. You need to wear these sizes. And mm. it wasn't husky, but it was the boy's size. So, you know, you know, you, went, <laughs> you, you and I have empathy. You know, the funny thing is I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but I talk about husky pants and the, the enduring joy and trauma of our memories of being the husky kids. Yeah. Every time I mention husky pants, no matter where I've gone in the world, it's part of the story or speech. Every time I brought it up, every time without fail, afterwards, someone comes up to me, they look over their shoulder. And they, in low, hushed tones, they go, I also wore husky pants. And then they just walk away. Yeah. 
and, about to and cry. The, about to cry. The pain I felt when you go to, I guess, like the market with your, was it your grandfather? Yeah, or yeah. your uncle who wants to buy you, he'll buy you whatever you want. And what did you pick? Michael Jackson leather pants. And how old were you? Five. <laughs> and then, and then, and then there were two big and I wore them to try to impress this girl that I liked. And then they had no belt uh, loops. So my mom came up with the ingenious idea of using pins. And so I wore, wore this, this fat kid wearing, the, wearing these tight but overlong leather pants to friggin' kindergarten. And then I stood there in the middle of the playground waiting for her because she used to come down with a radio flyer. And then she came down with a radio flyer and then I felt a gust of wind. I'm like, huh, it got chilly. And I looked down and my leather pants were on the floor and everyone was pointing and laughing. One of the many transformative stories of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can read in the latest copy of <laughs> Go Back Go to Where, back you, came to where from. you Came From. And other helpful recommendations on <laughs> how to become I American. I can't recommend the book highly. You also have a new podcast? Oh, yeah. Thank you. We, we actually, I'm the co-host of the Democracy-ish, Democracy-ish <laughs> podcast with Daniel Moody. And it's about, you know, like, like, you know, we, like some of the stuff we've talked about, like, how do we preserve our democracy and our sanity, which are under constant assault from the forces of fascism and stupidity. And so that's the podcast about 35 minutes a week. And Danielle and I just try to keep it very real and very blunt about the BS that we're witnessing and try to give you a space so you don't feel like you're being gaslit or going nutty and also hopefully provide some uh, solutions, but also give a narrative that oftentimes is, you know, excised. Like, for example, mm-hmm. of, of the topics we start off talking about, like, how does this impact black communities? We, well, we actually talk to black people, right? Cool. <laughs> and give, you, give you the insight. Like, how does it impact immigrants and Muslims and the rest of us who are still having asterisks next to our name? And, and, and I think that kind of uh, expands the narrative and the perspective of this thing called America. And I hope, uh, you know, give us a listen. I, I hope it's interesting and informative and at the very least gives you a fresh perspective. Definitely. And I hope this cake, um, I'm sorry, I can't share it with you. If I could, it looks fantastic. I would. Thank you so much for coming on. I had uh, so much fun. This was, uh, a, this was lovely. You're such a great host. You have a warm spirit. I appreciate your excellent uh, chai tea combinations. And, and thank you for listening to my audiobook. Uh, that makes me happy. Thank you to Wajahat Ali. Please grab a copy of his book. Please listen to it on Audible. And I promise you will not be disappointed. You can find me on Twitter. Be kind. Be well. Thank you. 